0: My name is uh, Caleb Pipes, and uh, Kyle shared with you a little bit about my story. I'd like to share a little, bit more, a little bit more of my testimony with you. I currently serve as a youth pastor in northwest Iowa. I've been there for the last seven and a half years or so. I grew up in Southern California, and uh, I, I had a walk with the Lord as a, as a young child. I, I believe that the Lord saved me at a young age, four, maybe five years old, um, but I had a very immature faith. And my dad was in the television world, he still is, and he accepted a call to a different position. He owned his own company in Southern California, and he, he accepted a position in St. Louis, Missouri when I was 15 years old. So we moved at that time, and the Lord used that move to mature me in my faith quite a bit, and he brought godly men around me to disciple me and, and bring me up. And so that's, that's part, of, part of who I am. I'm used to big moves. <laughs> Uh, and the Lord, uh, the Lord worked mightily on my heart at that time. He called me into ministry in high school. And so I, I went to Moody Bible Institute. And uh, there I met my wife, Ashley. And uh, we, we now have a daughter who's almost three years old, and her name is Charlotte. In 2015, we were called to Iowa, and we've been there since. So that's nutshell my story. I, I'm very excited to get to know you more. It's been such a blessing being here this morning. Uh, you know, walking into Lake Morton, you, you see a church that is prayerful, first of all. There's a lot of prayer in your services, which blesses me. Uh, musical, eager to, to worship the Lord together as a congregation. You can hear voices in this room, praise the Lord, and, uh, and a congregation hungry for the Word of God. So... Praise the Lord. We're going to have a Q&A time later on. I hope you can can stick around after the meeting, uh, the congregational meeting that will take place right after this. So I uh, can't wait to get, get to know you more. Please feel free to ask me whatever questions you like. and uh, I'd be happy to answer them if I can, to the best of my ability. And by segue into the message today, I was asked a really good question uh, recently. In January, I was asked to... Uh, do a breakout session for a conference for for youth in the central district of the EFCA. And I I did it on prayer, but that's neither here nor there. And a student came up to me after, and he had a piece of paper with him, and it looked like he was doing some type of project uh, for his youth group, going around to different teachers and asking uh, what was one word that has profoundly impacted you in the Christian life. And I was supposed to write that word down and kind of discuss it with him a little bit. And I thought that was really cool. Um, and there's a lot of like really good words we could choose, right? There's a lot of really good words out there. Faith, love, those are classics. Uh, maybe if you wanted to sound more theological, you'd say something like propitiation, something like that. But it wasn't really hard for me to decide. Uh, the word came to me pretty quick. And the word is grace. Grace is the word that has profoundly impacted me more than anything else. It took me a a long time to understand God's grace, like it does for a lot of us. Not that I've completely mastered the topic. It seems like I learn more about the Lord every day. What I mean is grace is one of those concepts that completely flips your life around. When it clicks, it clicks, and nothing's the same ever again. So this morning, we're going to read a passage from Scripture all about God's grace, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Will you turn there with me? Now, is it your practice to to stand during the reading of Scripture? Well, let's stand together and read from Ephesians chapter 2. You have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Please be seated. Let's respond to God's word with another quick prayer. Thank you, Lord, today. For this passage, we pray that you would prepare our hearts to hear your word and to align our lives with your word. Father, I've heard several times this morning uh, people saying that there are many members of Lake Morton who are out uh, today because of sickness. So Lord, again, we pray over their bodies and ask that you would heal them so that they can uh, get back to doing the work of the ministry of spreading your kingdom. And we thank you for that. You are in control of all things, and we trust you there. So we submit ourselves to your word now in Jesus' name. Amen. Our text this morning gives us three gospel truths. Three gospel truths from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. First, sin leads to death. Sin leads to death. Paul does not mince words about our spiritual condition. Before Christ, we are in a sorry state here. In fact, he tells us we are dead in our sins. We weren't just sickly with sin, infected by sin. We weren't just dying because of sin. We were dead in sin. Now, in Romans six twenty-three, Paul tells us the wages of sin is hmm. The wages of sin is death. And this shouldn't be surprising to us, right? As Christians, this idea that sin leads to death is all over Scripture. It's in the first couple chapters of Scripture. Adam is told in the garden that if he eats of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he will die. But what kind of death was God talking about? When Adam and Eve sinned, God didn't strike them down dead right in that moment, even though his exact words were, in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. But when Adam and Eve eat the fruit, God doesn't strike them down with a lightning bolt. They don't die that day. Instead, it seems like God is gracious and he lets them live. But that doesn't mean a death doesn't occur. A death does occur. Adam and Eve died spiritually that day. They were separated from God relationally. And there was no way to get back to him on their own. This separation is demonstrated in that book by their ejection from Eden, from the presence of God. They had communion with God in the cool of the day, it says, all the time. Can you imagine? And they were ejected from the presence of God. Their relationship with God was pure and good, and now it was marred and broken. Sin caused a rupture to occur in our relationship with God and our relationship with each other. So this is spiritual death, separation from God, and an inability to get back to Him through our own power. Sin leads to death every time in everyone without exception. And apart from Christ, everyone is completely dead in sin. Now, if Paul stopped there, that would be enough to know that we can't do anything on our own to crawl our way back to God despite our best efforts. But he doesn't stop there. You see, there's a little bit of danger of confusion. He might be anticipating a question. Someone might say, You're telling me that people who really want to have a relationship with God can't do anything to have that relationship? That doesn't seem fair if they really want it. But Paul's response is brilliant. You see, that person, that hypothetical person doesn't exist. Those outside of Christ aren't just dead in sin, as if that wasn't enough. They are unable to get back to God on their own effort. In our fallen state, beyond that, we don't want to follow the Lord. We don't want anything to do with him. Paul says we we follow the course of the world. We follow the prince of the power of the air. So in sin, our allegiances are completely corrupted. We don't want anything to do with God. We were content looking like the rest of humanity. We were content following a new master, Satan, the prince of the power of the air. And this name is significant. Paul spends a lot of time in the book of Ephesians talking about spiritual warfare. Satan is a real enemy who has real power and influence over the world today. And in ancient thought, the air was another name for a foggy spiritual realm between heaven and earth. And so Paul takes this ancient idea and completely applies it to Satan. That's his realm of influence. He is the spirit at work in the sons of disobedience. In sin, we did what the devil wants. We belonged to that group, the sons of disobedience. And that group includes all of humanity. So we weren't just dead in our sin. We were influenced by and ruled over by Satan. We did what he wanted. But that's not all. As if that wasn't enough, Paul says in verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Not many people consciously try to do exactly what Satan wants them to do. Satan and Satan worship, Satanism are sadly a real thing, but it's a very small minority of people. If you asked a regular non-Christian why they do what they do, they would just tell you that they're just doing what they want. They wouldn't say they're trying to follow Satan. They're just living the way they want to live. And that's Paul's point. They're the same thing living in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind are the same thing as doing what Satan wants. There's no third option. We either follow God or we're following Satan, the prince of the power of the air. Sin is rebellion against the Lord. Sin asserts that my way is better than the Lord's way. Sin says, I'm in charge of my life, not you, God. And no one can tell me what to do. And that's exactly what happened in the Garden of Eden. Eve is approached by the serpent who challenges God's word to her and says, "Did, did God really say that? Don't you want to be like him? And that sounded really good to Eve. She did want to be like him. But Paul goes on. That's not it. He says in verse 3, we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. From our birth, we are sinful. And this doctrine is called original sin. And while the doctrine can be a little bit uncomfortable, it's very biblical. Psalm 51 verse 5 says, Behold, I was brought forth In iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Through Adam's sin, all of humanity was corrupted. We inherited from him a desire to rebel against God and reject him. No one has to teach us how to sin. We're good at it. We're naturals. We sin because we're born sinners. So let's recap where we're at. We're dead in sin. We followed Satan rather than God. We rebelled against God by doing only what we wanted. And we do this because we're under the curse of sin. We're sinners by our fallen nature. None of this is good. This is all really bad news. There's nothing that we can do to get back to God. So the first thing that we learn from this passage is that we are dead in sin sin leads to death and nothing else but praise god there is more in the passage second christ leads to life things could not be much worse for us from paul's description of sin there's no hope any longer in our own actions right what would it take then to t- to save sinners Like us, the God of the universe. Verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. God has done it all. Amen? We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God has made us alive together with Christ. Did you get that? We were dead And all of the list of things we just talked about. But we have been made alive in Christ. If you're a believer here today, you're no longer dead in sin. You are alive in Christ Jesus. That's the gospel. This is the mind-boggling grace of God. I want to take you to Romans chapter 6 really quick. Romans chapter 6. To look a bit more on this idea. And what Paul is doing here in Ephesians chapter 2 is showing that the death and resurrection of Jesus has been applied to us. And he goes in greater detail in Romans 6. So let's go there. This is verses 5 through 11. Romans 6, 5 through 11. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves, get this, dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord. When Christ died on the cross, sin was killed there. When God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, he raised you with him. Every believer. Full stop period. It has been done. It has been dealt with. The amazing grace of God is there's nothing left to do. Christians, your sin has been killed, and you have been raised to life with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Beyond just being raised to life, Paul goes on. He says, We were seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Christ took a seat at the Father's right hand because the work was finished. And you are seated with him. There's nothing left to do to add to your justification. As Christ said on the cross, it is finished. And why did he do all this? Why? What was his motivation? To show us the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Christian, do you still feel dead in your sin this morning? Do you feel like you need to earn God's love somehow? You have been united with Christ, united with him, inseparably, How much more love could you possibly get? Do you lack assurance of your salvation today, Christian? Find comfort in the fact that God alone does the saving. He sent his son to do all the work. If your salvation was dependent upon you, you could never have that kind of assurance. But it's not dependent on you. And God accomplishes all of His purposes. Let me say that again God accomplishes all of His purposes. Believers, you can have assurance today that you are saved because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's nothing else you need to do to convince God that you're worth saving, you are not worth saving. The grace of God is that he saved you anyway and united you to Jesus Christ. Life, eternal life, therefore, can be found in Christ alone. Union with Christ is only through the grace of God. Now, this whole time I've tried to be careful to address Christians. I spoke in the past tense during the first point as if everyone here was once a sinner and now is a believer united to Christ. And while I hope that is true, it might not be. So let me be very clear. None of this is true for you if you've not placed your faith in Jesus. But you might say, hey, Caleb, you just said there's nothing you can do to add to your justification. True. There isn't. And this brings us to our third gospel truth today. Grace leads to good works. Paul goes on to say this in verses 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We have been saved by grace through faith. So it's important we understand what faith is. Faith is many things. Hebrews gives us a really helpful definition, though. Hebrews 11.1 tells us now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Placing our faith in something means that we are sure of it. We are convicted that it's true. So part of faith is intellectual belief. I believe I have faith in this pulpit, so I set my Bible on it, and I have good reason for that, right? But my faith is placed in the pulpit. That's partly what faith is. It's intellectual belief. But Christian faith is also Personal. It goes beyond just the intellectual. We place our faith in a person, Jesus Christ. We believe that He has done everything that's required for salvation. We are convicted that He is the reason we can have access to God, a real relationship with Him. Faith is the assurance that Jesus has accomplished it all, it's the conviction that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. And faith, this kind of faith, completely changes who we are. Faith says, I'll no longer live like I used to. It reorganizes our life, it reorients us toward God. It takes our priorities and flips them upside down, where God was not even on the list. He now consumes the whole thing. But faith is not a work. It's not something we have to try really hard in ourselves to muster up, try really hard to get somehow. Paul says here in verse 8 about grace and faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. That applies to faith as well. Even faith is a gift from God. It's a result of a person who has been changed and is being changed by the Holy Spirit. So, do you feel like you lack faith today? Have you examined your heart and found yourself faithless? In Mark 9, a man approached Jesus. And he asks him to to heal his son who's afflicted by a demon. And it's it's a horrible story because this demon was throwing this kid into fires and into pools of water. It was a horribly destructive demon. The man says, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us to Jesus. And Jesus points out the man's lack of faith. He replies, if you can all things are possible for one who believes. And the man's response is pretty amazing to me. He says, I believe. I believe. Help my unbelief. I believe. Help my unbelief. You see, God is the one that changes our hearts. So do you lack faith? ask God to give you faith. Say to God, I believe, help my unbelief. If you're here today and you're hearing the gospel and you want to believe, say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Make this a habit, Christian. Pray every day that you might grow in faith. And if you're here today and you're not a believer, Man, I just want to implore you to place your faith in Jesus Christ. Cry out to him. Just based upon what we've read, he will raise you up from the dead. He will unite you to Christ. He will seat you with Christ in heaven. All of these promises are there in the gospel. Place your faith in Jesus Christ. There's nothing that you can do. There's no requirement Throw yourself upon the grace of God. Turn away from your sin. Reject it. Place your faith in Jesus Christ. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. And Christians, we should always be seeking more of that. More faith every day. But as James chapter 2 verse 17 tells us, faith without works is dead. Dead. Paul has this on his mind in the book of Ephesians. I was talking to Ed last night, and we were talking about this passage, and he said, verse 10 is a shadow passage. I thought that was really good. We usually stop at verse 9. While our salvation is only because of the grace of God, we were created for more than just our salvation. Let me say that again, in case you missed it. While our salvation is only because of the grace of God, praise the Lord. We were created for more now than just our salvation, he says. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has crafted us. He has molded us for good works. We are his workmanship, with the emphasis on his. We belong to him now. He raised us up with Christ, remaking us, remolding us in his image. And for what purpose? For good works, he says. There's no work that you have to perform in order to be saved. I hope that's clear by now. But once saved, God has so many good things for us to do. And He's prepared certain things for you individually to accomplish. He has made you to spread the kingdom of God, to build the church, to encourage believers, to help the poor. To care for orphans and widows, to make disciples of all nations, to bear spiritual fruit, and many, many other amazing things that we could go on and on about. And only you can accomplish those certain things God has prepared for you today. Are you excited to do them? Are you excited to do them? Praise the Lord. These are good works. They're not a burden. They're not something we have to do to be saved. They're things we get to do. They're not a checklist that you have to get through in order to earn God's love. They're opportunities that God has made for you in order to love him. They are a response to God's grace, not the the means to get it. He wants us to walk in them. Good works should not be neglected. They should be pursued in joy. In joy. And that's exactly where I want to land this plane. Joy. We were once dead in our sins. Allied to Satan. Doing what we wanted. Sprinting away from God. But in his amazing, astounding, lavish grace... God has made a way for us to be reconciled to Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. He has done all of the work. He's even provided us with faith. And on top of that, He's given each of us, individually and corporately, a mission. He's prepared for us good works to do today, to walk in. So my question As we wrap up, do all of these truths make you happy? Do these truths bring you joy? They should. They should put a smile on your face when you remember them. They should encourage you to see the same joy in other people. Christians, our response to hearing the gospel preached again shouldn't be guilt and sadness and a downcast face. It should be inexpressible, overwhelming joy because of God's love. So if you began your day today without any joy, and if you trudged yourself to church today after a long, joyless week, be encouraged by the gospel of Jesus Christ. God loved you so much he sent his son for you. He loves you so much that his spirit is now changing you to to make you look more like Jesus. He loves you so much that he prepared good works for you to do today. He loves you so much that he's giving you his grace. Let's rejoice over that. Let's rejoice over that today, right now. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. We pray that we would respond to the gospel in joy. If there's someone here who has not heard your gospel before, who, who has not understood your gospel, we pray now that you would give them the faith to respond to. And we pray that you would pour your grace out on them. In Jesus' name, amen.